Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, all right. It's the top five reasons why Rainey's didn't roast the greens. Number five, her full title is actually the queen who never was Megor the Cruel. Number four, she couldn't hear the millions of people shouting Jakaris through their TV screens. There's a, just too much noise in the dragon pit. Number three, she hasn't read Fire and Blood, so just doesn't know what's going to happen. Shame. Number two, because then the show would be over and... Melly's makes the big bucks, as we all know. And today's number one reason why Rainey's didn't roast the greens, because Melly's does not eat green eggons and ham. Oh, yes. Hey there, friends. David Lightbringer here, House of Flying Dragons, now in session, and... All kidding aside, why didn't Rainey's roast the greens definitely seems to be the biggest question on people's minds after the show. And many have also questioned the choice to add this scene, which is not from Fire and Blood, or the way that it was pulled off. Now, I myself liked the scene a lot, and I thought, hey, what the heck, uh, I'll go to bat for it. And by that, I just mean that we'll go through the ins and outs and talk about how it worked. So first off, yes, Team Green supporters, I know you exist. In fact, I'm sometimes accused of being one of you, that's right. Now, I'm just as often accused of being Team Black, but that's because I point out everyone's faults and yell treason a lot. Shout out to Lord Lyman Beesbury, you're a real one. But yeah, of course, not everyone wanted Rainies to roast the high towers and their dragon spawn, if you will. And of course, that also would have completely ended the show in season one. So actually, no one should have been rooting for that. House of the Dragon, shocking twist ending. It's over in season one. That's all, folks. Talk about subverting expectations. Seriously, though, the real question we want to answer is, of course, why Rainies held her fire when she had the chance to end the war before it started, so to speak. So the first thing about that is that ending a war before it starts can also be described as starting a war. And although you can argue that the Hightower coup was in a way a declaration of war, we can also see that there is still a process of negotiation that will take place between the Hightowers and Rhaenyra. Not only in negotiation, but also a period where both sides will attempt to recruit allies and take measure of one another's strength. That's why Alicent, of course, didn't want Rhaenys to take her dragon Melis and join Rhaenyra's side. There's still a chance to avoid war, in other words, but if Rhaenys were to have Melis the Red Queen, who looks truly magnificent, all agree, just Dracarys everyone on the dais, well, there's no turning back then. Sure, Rhaenys would have just killed King Aegon, his wife Queen Helena, his brother Prince Aemond, his mother the Queen Dowager Alicent, and his grandsire Otto, the Hand of the King, along with High Septon Eustace and Grand Maester Melos, and the remainder of the Kingsguard, by the way, but that is by no means an end to any possibility of war. Rhaenys wouldn't have slain any troops yet, and of course Lord Hobart Hightower, the Lord of Old Town and Otto's older brother, is back at home in Old Town with 
Alicent's third-born son, Prince Daron, who is or will be shortly a dragon rider and who is confirmed to be alive and to be appearing next season. With Rainey's just having committed the horrific atrocities of kinslaying and mass murder, killing the High Septon in particular would be seen as a crime against the gods, Lord Hobart would really have no problem catalyzing the faith and the citadel and large parts of Westeros against Rhaenyra, and the possibility of a war to put Daron on the throne would be very real, if not likely. It's important to remember that kinslaying, along with the violation of guest right, are the oldest cultural taboos in Westeros, dating back thousands and thousands of years to the time of the first men. So this is really heavy stuff in terms of how it would resonate with the common people of Westeros. In other words, Rhaenys absolutely would have become a new Magor the Cruel had she chosen to use her dragon to roast her nieces and nephews. And it's not just that she didn't want to be remembered as Rhaenys the Cruel, but that she isn't Rhaenys the Cruel. She's not the same kind of person as Magor. Yes, she can see the war that's probably coming, but there is still a chance to negotiate, like I said, and I think we conclude that Rhaenys just wasn't ready to become a kinslayer and a butcher, or to be the one that started all the violence. I really think the line that Allison gave earlier in the episode, No king has ever lived that hasn't had to forfeit the lives of a few to protect the many, though I understand your squeamishness. Reluctance to murder is not a weakness. Is a very important one in terms of theme. After all, if more of these High Lords were reluctant to kill, as Rhaenys was in the Dragon Pit, then perhaps war could have been avoided, right? It's also likely that Rhaenys might have held her fire because of the political fallout to Rhaenyra and House Targaryen, as well as to herself. So instead of taking things into her own hands, she's chosen to fly to Dragonstone and give Rhaenyra a warning of what's going on. Rhaenyra can then choose to press her case for the throne or not, and doesn't instantly become responsible for Rhaenys having murdered all the Greens without ever having heard that that was something we were going to do. And knowing what we know of Rhaenys, she might have even been thinking, hey, I'm not doing your dirty work for you, Rhaenyra. If you want to be queen, then you take your own dragon and go murder your family. You wear the title of butcher if you want the throne. And th that's fair. I mean, it's reasonable. It's also possible that Rhaenys plans to fly to Dragonstone and to try to convince Rhaenyra not to go to war, while also thinking that by bringing her dragon over to Rhaenyra's side, she's strengthening her hand and giving her a better position to negotiate some sort of actual acceptable terms with Alicent. All of which is to say that you don't have to agree with Rhaenys' choice, but we can certainly understand some of the reasons why she made it. Choices like these are, of course, meant to be debated by we, the viewers, and I hope I've helped draw out some of what would have been her reasoning. I think what I've laid out here makes a lot more sense than what some of the writers and showrunners said in the inside of the episode, for that matter, which made it more about Rhaenys and Alicent, but let me know what you think in the comments, of course, and... You know, I just think it was more about Rainey's herself and who she was, which is to say, no Meg or the Cruel. Now, speaking of who Rainey's is, we can also say that, like most of the royalty and the High Lords of Westeros, 
She is an elitist. Now, I don't mean to be harsh, but as many people have pointed out, we're having all this discussion about the morality and political dynamics of Rainey's choosing not to kill the leaders of the Green faction and the High Septon and the Grand Maester and the Kingsguard. But how much concern is given for the innocent civilians who died or sustained serious injuries when Melly's burst through the floor of the dragon pit. And I'm asking that question both of Rainey's and of ourselves, we the viewing audience. Do we remember to think about the little people who suffer when the High Lords play their Game of Thrones? Hashtag Team Smallfolk. The innocent civilians who are literally crushed beneath the feet of the dancing dragons? I mean, Rainey's may be counted as a mass murderer by some of the populace of King's Landing, simply by sort of accidentally trampling people as she made her escape. Rainey's seems to carefully weigh the lives of those on the royal dais, but did she give the same thought to the people in the crowd who would die while she made her escape? People whom she was standing next to and amongst only moments before, by the way, and people whom she knew had been herded into the dragon pit with basically no choice. Now, I'm not saying that Rainey's is a villain, per se, or that she's evil, just that she thinks like a royal and probably adheres to some of that Targaryen supremacy stuff that Daemon is on. In the end, this is just the kind of thing that George is talking about when he says gray characters. And, in my opinion, the best way to enjoy them is to take it all in, the good and the bad. So we can take in the triumphant feeling of Rhaenys's escape and her dramatic appearance with her dragon and her ruining of the coronation, if you're team black, I suppose. And at the same time, we can still think about the small folk who die every time the High Lords make even one move in the great Game of Thrones. Now, one unresolved question that does kind of affect how we evaluate Rhaenys's character is the question of whether or not that was the only way out for Rainies and Melis through the floorboards. And yes, we'll get to Helena's prophecy in just a moment. Now, in the books, the dragon pit is set up a little bit differently. There are 40 individual brick-lined dragon caves around the oval of the stadium, each with two openings, one to the outside and one right onto the sands of the pit. Now on the show, the dragons only seem to be able to emerge into the open of the dragon pit through those two openings in the floor. And though we've seen there are definitely entrance and exit openings to the outside of the stadium, such as we saw Cyrax ushered into in the first episode, we don't know how many of them there are, or if the arrangement is is the same as in the book. That means that unless we get further clarification, we can't really be sure if Rainey's had another route to get Melly's out beside the one she took, which killed, I don't know, maybe 100 people, 200 people or so, with many more being injured. I mean, I'm not sure you tell me, but it looked like more on first watch and a little bit less on the second watch. Fewer, excuse me, fewer on the second watch. What was I thinking? Point being, if that was the only way out, then we can see Rainey's choice as being difficult, but understandable. After all, quite a lot rides on Rainey's being able to ride to bring word to Rhaenyra of what's happened and what the Greens plan to do. And perhaps even more rides on her bringing her dragon Melis to Rhaenyra's side, of course. But if Rainey's did have another way out and just chose to explode through the floor in order to bust up Aegon's coronation and deliver the Greens a stern message, well... That's pretty freaking ruthless, so 
Let me know what you think about that. I'll also add that just as some of the common folk may hold this against Rhaenys, many more people will probably see this as a terrible omen for Aegon II's reign. He and his Hightower backers are attempting to lay claim to the Targaryen legacy, as Aegon stands there in his Jesus Christ pose. with black fire in his hand and the conqueror's crown on his head and Viserys' prophecy knife tucked in his belt. And, of course, with this coronation taking place in the Dragon Pit, which holds the real power of House Targaryen beneath its floor. And then that very power rises up and absolutely ruins the event. Aegon II is being named Protector of the Realm, and then the very first thing that happens while he's king is something he can't protect anyone from. That's him right there, uh, hiding behind his mother. So this is already a terrible omen, but what makes it especially bad is the fact that everyone in the crowd knows that Rhaenyra was Viserys' named heir, and her name is basically the dragon-sized elephant in the room during this entire coronation. There's already a perception that the ambitious Hightowers have been running a long-range plan to steal the dragon's throne, if you will, and then a giant dragon rises up in fury right in the middle of their triumph. That, to me, is what makes this scene so powerful. The fact that the Hightowers are essentially trying to claim the throne before Rhaenyra or anyone outside King's Landing can even find out the king is dead. And we can see that the people in the crowd are very aware of that and that there's a palpable tension there that is basically ripped apart when Melis bursts up through the floor. This scene is communicating symbolically on so many levels, including the idea that the ghosts of the last succession crisis between Rhaenys and Viserys are still haunting this new succession crisis. It's also an extremely visual depiction of the idea that when the High Lords playing the Game of Thrones are dragon lords, it's a dragon dance, and when the dragons dance, the people are trampled underfoot. So it's basically all right there. And without dropping any spoilers, those of you who have read Fire and Blood can easily see how this event in the Dragon Pit will set up a future event in the Dragon Pit. I won't say more, but yeah, it's pretty obvious if you know what's coming. And won't that be something, uh, yeah. All right, so I got some more cool stuff on the Dragon Pit for you, because I love you guys. Beginning with the idea that Melis was the beast beneath the boards, of which Helena spoke of twice now. Once in episode 8 at dinner, and once again in episode 9, when Alicent came to tell Helena that her father, King Viserys, was dead. Pretty much everything fits with the beast beneath the boards being Melis. This is certainly the beast which her family needed to beware of, and we've seen that all three events Helena has prophesied about were all related to the same two topics, dragons and the war to come. Helena prophesied about Aemond losing an eye to claim Vagar, and seemingly about the dragon-shaped war banners sewn by the dragons of Team Green and Team Black. So, this event with Melis ruining the coronation would fit the pattern pretty nicely. The only weird thing is the word boards. I mean, perhaps beneath the boards just meant beneath the floor, whether or not it's made of wooden boards. That's definitely possible. But I also wanted to add that if the Dragon Pit is anything like the Roman Colosseum on which it seems modeled, especially the TV version, it would have a layer of wood paneling in the floor beneath its sands. 
Now, we can only see what look like chunks of stone or concrete flying when Melis burst through the floor. So take that for what it's worth, but I did find it interesting. The Roman Colosseum had a maze of passageways beneath its floor called the Hypogeum, just as the TV version of the Dragon Pit has something similar. And those passageways were covered over with layers of wood paneling and then sand. Obviously, you've got to use stone to support the weight of dragons, but perhaps there's wood involved too, I don't know. And even if there isn't, I thought the Colosseum definitely deserved a shout-out with this modified design of the television dragon pit. All right, so another couple of interesting facts about the dragon pit. Rainies' grandparents actually got married there when it was only half complete. That's right, in 49 AC, Rogar Baratheon, then the hand of the king to young King Jaehaerys, wed Jaehaerys' mother, the dowager queen Alyssa Velaryon. And it was said to be the most fabulous wedding in living memory at that time. It was witnessed by 40,000 people or more, and it gained the nickname The Golden Wedding. And it's sure nice to know a wedding can gain a snazzy, color-based nickname without having a horrific atrocity involved. Uh, that's encouraging. In any case, this history adds a little extra layer of irony to Rainey's being the one to crash the coronation here, exactly 80 years after her grandparents threw a ribbon wedding at this same location. Fire and Blood also tells us that King Jaehaerys, whom we met briefly at the Great Council of Harrenhal in the cold open of Episode 1, was cremated in the Dragon Pit in 103 AC. Presumably, the site would have been chosen so that as many people as possible could gather to mourn this most beloved of kings, of whom it was said that all of Westeros, even Dorne, mourned his loss. That's also part of why the Dragon Pit was chosen for the coronation of Aegon II, both on House of the Dragon and in Fire and Blood, so that as many people as possible could witness the event, the better to solidify the idea of Aegon II as the rightful king of Westeros. In in fact, in the book version, it says that as many as a hundred thousand people were herded into the dragon pit for Aegon's coronation. And the dragon pit is supposed to seat 80,000, by the way. So the fire marshal will be sending a sternly worded email or letter by Raven, I guess. And House of the Dragon definitely did a nice job of capturing that overall feel as Rhaenys and Sir Eric were swept up in the rush and were indeed herded into the dragon pit. All right, friends, that's it for today, although I might try to squeeze in another video for the weekend if I can, as I do have lots more to say about this episode. But I'm also going to see the Mars Volta this week in San Francisco. All right, so we'll see. Do treat yourself to the post-game breakdown show from Sunday night, if you haven't already, as I did that one with Grey Waste Tim, and I thought it came out pretty great. Grey Waste Tim, in particular, was on fire, so... Check out his channel in the link below. And if you didn't hear, you can get access to our exclusive House of Flying D's Discord server, either by joining Patreon with the link in the description below, or by clicking that nice join button right below this video, which is right next to the subscribe button, which you have doubtless already pressed. So after you join as a channel member subscriber, as we call it, click the community tab on the David Lightbringer YouTube page and you'll see a post with the exclusive invite link. Thanks so much to everyone signing up for Patreon and channel member subscriber this week and I'll see you in the Discord. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 